This is The Braither Point. Where will you go? How will you and your family survive? Join Jeffrey Prather on July 26th for an extraordinary online event called Navigating the Coming Collapse. During this private online event, you'll learn invaluable strategies to protect your family from what's coming next. To register, visit jeffreyprather.com forward slash warrior. You won't want to miss it. Register before June 30th to save $10. To win, warriors must know why. There is never victory on defense. War has goals, battles, objectives. To know future, study past. To understand human nature, learn divine. The secrets are in scripture, hidden in history. The Bible begins at the end, before the beginning, in ego-engineered evil and disconnected devils. First, sin is a passive, unprotective atom, permitting the first psyop. Basic weapon is body, ultimate mind. Battlefield, soul. Gain the mind, win the soul. Rulers write history. Heroes define it. Martyrs make it. Selfless sacrifice survives sabotage. Elite soldiering is mind over matter. Ultimate warriorship is all heart. Valentine was martyred for marriage making, sanctifying the highest and hardest sacrament, ordaining the maker's micro society, family. Conceived and raped, orphaned and adopted, claimed by Christians, initiated by indigenous, tribally trained, martial arts mastered, PSYOPs and special forces served. Decades of duty in DEA and DIA. Intelligence inducted, deep state betrayed, Yeshua saved. Dedicated to Republic rescue, American exceptionalism, and redemption by God's grace. I'm Jeff Prather, and this is the Prather Point. Welcome, everybody. Uh, Really great show today uh, with some very special guests I've been trying to have on for uh, quite some time. But before I get there, I just want to really quickly uh, share with you that it's been a really uh, bad week for uh, the um, uh, Dems. Uh, they had their worst nightmare come out, and that was a uh, homosexual Democratic IRS agent testifying, uh, whistleblowing against Hunter Biden and confirming everything the FBI whistleblower. Since an old DEA whistleblower myself, you know, uh, this is uh, particularly. Uh, meaningful to be here. Discovered that people are saying that I must be more credible because I'm a Democrat who happens to be married to a man. I'm no more credible than this man sitting next to me, due to my ex- due to my sexual orientation or my political beliefs. The truth is, my credibility comes today from my job experience with the IRS and my intimate knowledge of the agency's standard and procedures. So uh, that just really, really disturbs them. And uh, I've got to say, I love it. Um, uh, it just shows that they are failing at every level that the resistance uh, is building. Uh, and uh, even beyond that, and uh, let me make sure I can figure this out because I'm something of a dinosaur um, here with uh, all this stuff uh, is, uh, where is it? Yeah. Uh, Jason Aldean came out with another um, uh, song. So if you remember, I had Natasha Owens on a while back with the the Trump One uh, song. Uh, Now Jason Aldean is uh, blowing it up uh, with this new uh, song here, Don't Do It in a Small Town. Of course, I'm a small town country boy. Listen to both kinds of country music. Not sure my special guests do, but it's still really uh, cool. These farmers are dropping their own crops for the day. A friend is in need, and they've come to help. It's what this community and a lot of urban communities did. Somebody needs some help, you'll get it. So I think that's really cool, but uh, 
I want to bring on my two special guests. I've been trying to get them on for quite some time, and that's the Collins. So welcome, Malcolm and Simone. I am so glad to have you. Uh, and oops, whoops, I'm making noise here. Sorry about that, because uh, I'm such a... It is wonderful to be here today. Um, and we do really like country music, by the way. <laughs> do you? All right. And I already like Simone because she's got a gun over the fireplace. So, you know, we're that's great. So... Uh, so well, I mean, guys, I know you're really busy. Um, we, we, you know, being right-leaning intellectuals, we get a lot of online death threats, and we always say that's just a shop opportunity for more guns. There you go. Excellent, excellent. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I ran across you guys a while back, uh, and you are the uh, the pro natalist movement, and I think this is the perfect time for that because uh, the population is being called and the. Uh, uh, trannies are coming for our kids, uh, and you guys are the exact opposite of that. And I'm really excited because I'm an old guy, you know, I'm a soldier, you know, I'm a cowboy, Indian, you know, um, chaplain. Uh, but you have a very fresh perspective on this that I'm that I really welcome uh, and am impressed with. And I'm looking at your websites and looking at your work and everything. Uh, and the first thing you really notice is you figured out. Uh, that uh, the population is dying off. Europe is gone, essentially. America is on its way yep. to, and China's gone in a hundred years. Uh, and you guys are doing something about that. So, um, please. Well, we're trying. I mean, I, I think that no matter what, we're going to see a worldwide population collapse. I, I think that's just inevitable at this point. What we're trying to do is to help sort of a coalition of the willing navigate through this 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 collapse. Um, and it's it's wild that. You know, people in the U.S., they come to us and they're like, oh, yeah, like this is a thing that's that's getting bigger. And I'm like, you understand that like the U.S. has been one of the most resistant countries in the world to this. Everywhere else, it's like if there's a zombie outbreak and we're just now noticing it, yet every other country is swarming with zombies already. You know, when I first started caring about this, I was in Korea and I was a venture capitalist and I had to project forwards where their economy was going to be in 100 years. Um, and at their current fertility rate, which is... Um, around, uh, oh God, I want to say uh, 0.8, 7.9. That means for every 100 Koreans alive today, there will be uh, 4.6 to 6.1 great-grandchildren. And that's assuming that their population doesn't, the fertility rate doesn't continue to collapse, which it has been almost every year. Now, in Korea, you know, we can plot catastrophe just by saying their fertility rate stays what it is. But let's talk about the U.S. because coming back to the U.S., it felt like traveling back in time 20 years. We are today where Korea was in the 90s fertility rate-wise. But um, it's, it's collapsing a little faster here. Um, and so if I look at our current rate of fertility collapse in the U.S., so um, uh, that is the rate of fertility collapse we've had over the past 10 years, and I project that into the future, and I say we have one generation every 30 years, that means for every 100 Americans alive today, there will be only 4.3 great-grandchildren. So that's assuming a continued decline in fertility at the same rate, uh, which, you know, that's the type of thing that should be ringing alarm bells. But the powers that be are almost silencing it. Like they're almost like just pointing out the, the state of things they consider like a form of hate speech almost. They'll be like, oh, we can solve this with immigration, right? Like, that's the first thing they say. And then we point out to them, we go, don't you know, by the UN, the UN own statistics as of 2019, collectively, Central America, South America, and the Caribbean fell below repopulation rate. They are not, we are a farmer who has unsustainable water management practices. And when you come to him and you ask him, you go, what are you doing? And he goes, oh, I'm, I'm draining water from uh, the guy across the street's well. And then you say, well, that well's evaporating. It's losing two inches every year. What are you doing? This will not last in the long run. And he's like, well, then I guess I'll find somebody else's well to drain. Like the situation is bad everywhere right now. And it, it's typically correlated with the wealth of a country. So people think like poor countries, they're fine. But that's really only desperate countries are fine. Country average will only have above replacement rate fertility if the average citizen is learning le less than 5,000 USD per year. But here's where all of this gets interesting, and I think this is what we're going to end up focusing on in the podcast, is there is one group that seems to show a really high amount of resistance to this fertility collapse, and that is conservative Christians and conservative Jews specifically. Um, uh, 
And that means that the future is going to look like a very different place. But it also means the powers that be right now, they have the lowest fertility rate out of all groups. You know, you look at the fertility rate in major cities, like this urban monoculture we have, it's incredibly low. The only way this group, we call it the virus, survives is by parasitizing nearby healthy cultures because they cannot convince their own members to reproduce. So they can only replenish their ranks by taking the children from nearby healthy groups. And that, I think, ties into what's going on with bringing in illegal kids. I've been doing a lot of guest appearances about, uh, I've, and I've been saying this since the Obama administration, Obama pimps kids. I worked all these countries. They're bringing these kids up that don't, they don't do DNA testing anymore. They are not coming to relatives. They couldn't find their relatives uh, at all. And also uh, the tranny movement uh, to, uh, yeah. to rape kids and groom kids because they don't reproduce. So well, you talk about the immigration. Yeah, continue. What you're doing is really important. But first, I got to ask you, when were you in Korea and where? Because I was up in Dongduchong near the, the militarized zone living hard. And I don't think you were there. No, no, no. I was there about, um, I want to say, 10 years ago at this point, Simone. You're better with dates than I am. In 2015 and early 2016. Yeah. So, And we got to hear from Simone finally. So Simone was like, hey, we can you can have Malcolm. I'm like, well, if it's a pro-natalist movement, I think we should have you on too. It's only just. So I know you're busy, but uh, welcome, Simone. So great to hear from you. Hi, we're basically the same person, but I think that's the key. And a big problem also with modern society is that everything is being atomized. Um, parents, children, individuals, you know, elderly people, put them in a home. Children, put them in a school. Each couple, each one has to have their own career, separate finances. I mean, now there's growing trends of couples having separate houses. Um, and all of this atomization is ultimately very toxic. It's leading to surges in mental health. It's certainly contributing to bad mental health, probably bad health. Um, it's, it's a, it's a very bad trend. Um, and I think, well, it's bad if what you're optimizing for is the well-being of your citizenry. Oh. It's good if you're, if you're a, if you're a social group that disproportionately converts people in mental health crises. Um, it's, it's good if that's the group that you specialize in converting, which I think is what we're seeing. I mean, if you look at, uh, mental health rates among progressives, so the famous statistic is, is progressive white women under the age of 30, more than half of them have a major mental health problem. Well, that ties into all the drug use and I was a DEA agent, but there's also, uh, the drugs to stop, uh, ladies moons. Uh, there's all the, uh, anti-depression drugs. I mean, one depend and you probably know this. You're a statistician, but for one fourth to one third of the population is on some kind of drugs, and we weren't designed by the creator to be on any of these kinds of drugs because any drug that works with us, some drugs won't work with us because they don't lock on, which means that you can achieve almost any state uh, that you would achieve through drugs through some kind of what I call natural uh, inner yeah. technology, which is. Uh, tribal ceremonies or, you know, going up into the mountains to pray or sweat lodges or, or whatever. Um, so, but that requires work. I mean, that, right. that, <laughs> right. yeah, that's As, work. Yeah. Asking people to work for, for, for anything. That sounds like hate speech. Yeah. I think, I think we got to censor this. Um, <laughs> but uh, one thing you mentioned that I thought was really interesting. And I think that this is a, a, a you know, you're talking about the immigrant, the immigrants being used to to replenish their numbers to some extent. And I think that this is a lot more true when you look at the statistics and a lot of people realize. So what's really interesting is that uh, conservative communities in the U.S., they're beginning to build up resistance to this this other cultural group, which primarily survives by converting people's kids. Um, like, obviously, they're going to build up resistance to that. If you just look at, like, cultural evolution, the iterations of these conservative cultures that are better at keeping members are going to be the ones that are alive in the future, right? So um, they're they're getting worse and worse at taking people from these groups. So that's one of the key reasons why immigrants are so important to them. And if you look at the statistics, like, you look at the rate of decline in fertility rate, but you can see how much a group has been sort of... Um, uh, 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 injected, I guess you could say, with the, the progressive mindset by how quickly their fertility rate is falling. Um, and you look at immigrant groups, so you look at like uh, Catholic groups that were already in the U.S. versus Catholic immigrant groups, uh, the immigrant fertility rates fall much, much, much faster. 
um, because they're just not ready for this. They, they, and I think what we're seeing now amongst part of the, this, this sort of new growing a mindset in the conservative movement that, that Simone and I consider ourselves members of is um, we're trying to expand sort of the tent with the understanding that, um, you know, the, 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 the Muslims don't want my kids. You know, the conservative Jews don't want my kids. We're all fighting. The immigrants don't want my kids. We all of us are fighting to maintain our kids and, and go into the future. And, and while we may have different interests in the long term, this threat is completely existential um, because they control our media. They control our government organizations. They control our school systems. And for them, the fight is existential as well. If they can't get our kids, their movement dies. That's exactly right, because uh, they are uh, homosexual or they've been uh, transgendered surgically. So they're castrated. So they they are infertile. And so they need a population to repopulate. And the, the better the groomed population to do that, um, yeah, that's exactly it. So I want to put up a, a, a quote here of you the, of your saying, we're not at the moral nexus of human history. There is no past iteration of man present society believed to be largely right. And therefore, there is no reason to believe that our time is different. As such, it is our responsibility to take a pragmatic approach to all issues, exploring them from a first principles approach, questioning common assumptions and updating our beliefs when presented with sound evidence. So I wanted to delve into that you know, because uh, most of the people that I hang out with, we talk about constitution, we talk about uh, Christ, uh, you know, veterans, and your perspective, I think, aligns, but it's a much more um, young and much more and a fresher perspective. I'm an old guy, I'm 66 years old and everything, but I really like it. But I want to, but you know, you're going to reach people that I'm not going to reach. Uh, and, yep. you know, I'm also impressed that I guess you guys are you've made a pact before you got married that you're going to have seven to 13 kids uh, each. Which well, we is- made a contract before we got married, but that wasn't included in it. That actually came up later in our lives. Uh, Simone, if you want to talk about our marriage contract. Yeah, our marriage contract was more about building sustainable alliance over a long term. So we negotiated every likely point of failure after interviewing a bunch of existing couples, both failed failed couples and successful couples, to determine how we were going to deal with major problems that could kill our relationship well before those problems became urgent or imminent. Like, what do we do if one of our parents gets really sick? How do we raise our children? How do we address discipline with our children? What internal temperature of our shared home is is going to be permitted, that kind of thing. Um, So children, uh, yes, so all sorts of things related to our children are in the contract and all of those things are agreed to there, um, including, you know, who defaults to childcare, how we handle family vacations, names that are permissible. Um, But what's really interesting is the way this contract was structured, because the thing that we believe about marriage is that nothing kills a marriage faster than compromise. Yes. The moment you introduce compromise to a marriage, there is a subconscious um, a reward mechanism put in place for exaggerating your perspective. So for example, if I want three and my wife wants five, well, she's going to be rewarded for saying she wants seven or eight. And I'm going to be rewarded for saying I want two or one. And over time, our actual positions will drift towards these more extreme positions. That's just a psychological tendency you see in research. I used to be a psychologist. Um, and uh, that causes more damage over time. So we need a relationship where we can always, within different domains of our family, rely on one of us to make decisions. However, it was useful before the marriage to make certain carve-outs to say, okay, but broadly, this is what we're agreeing on before we go into the marriage. So we didn't need to resort to compromise or end up in one of those marriages where like, one of our parents decides, okay, I want to move in with you guys. And we're like, oh, we never talked this through. <laughs> um, but I love the quote you put there because um, I think that's really important. I think progressives view society as uh, it's constantly moving towards a more morally true perspective. It's moving constantly towards like some sort of progressive utopia. Whereas in truth, I think there's never been a period where the masses were right. You know, when we look at history and uh, the way the masses were wrong has oscillated over time. Um, you know, I look at my own family's history of the the founding members of the the Free State of Jones. Um, Fifteen of them were were uh, my ancestors. Um, and 
they even died, you know, within their communities being treated like, you know, traitors and, and, and scum. Um, but I, I think today very few people would think of them that way, you know, anti, anti-slavery extremists. Um, and so I think that it's important to remember that you won't always be recognized within your lifetime for taking a moral position, but it's very important that you know why you believe what you believe. And it's not just because it's what those in power are telling you is good or just that it's something you came to uh, from your own study of, of what you think is a, a, a true, a good source. You know, that could be scripture, that could be reality, that could be history, whatever. Well, I think, you know, I think it is a, uh, I talk about if you study history, fate of nations, 250 to 275 years is how long an empire lasts. And America has become an empire, unfortunately. And I say that as a veteran, um, like the Roman empire. And then if you study scripture, you know, uh, it's, it's very accurate as well. But I love your perspective because, you know, as a chaplain, I do marriage counseling before and after uh, but you guys have approached it in much more granular detail. Uh, I love that the yeah. way you look at that. I mean, we talk about goals versus objectives and so many people never approach that at all, but that's, that's great that you have done it. Um, well, I love what you're saying about empires. Cause I think that that's really perse- pre- prescient to the times right now mm-hmm. where we often tell people, look, uh, demographics are going to collapse. Like we are, there's really no way to prevent it at this point. Our entire economic system right now is basically a Ponzi scheme. Um, If population begins to collapse, what we think of as civilization will also collapse um, because we have taken out leverage or debt at every layer of society. Um, And debt's a miraculous tool when things are growing. You know, if I make a $10 investment and $8 of that is debt and $2 is equity and it grows just 10%, well, my equity has grown 50%. But if it falls by just 10%, my equity has decreased by half. If we're looking at our society, we have taken out debt at the level of our families, at the level of our students, at the level of our houses, at the level of our cities, states, nation states, inter internation state organizations. And this worked because we historically had a constantly growing economy. But we historically had a constantly growing economy for two reasons. The number of people was growing logarithmically and the productivity per person was growing linearly. A lot of people assume because technology was growing exponentially that the productivity per worker was growing exponentially, but you can just look at the statistics. It's been about linear for almost 200 years. What this means is if population begins to decline, what we're going to see is a world in which the stock market on average is declining. When that happens, most of the systems we built begin to break. Now, and people are like, yeah, but you can't really say civilization is going to collapse as we understand it. And I'm like, it's happened before. It happened after the height of the Athenian Empire, the Islamic Empire, the Roman Empire. Um, and the signs are very similar. A, a rise in hedonistic behavior, a concentration of power in urban centers. Uh, we, we all recognize this. Everything looks like we're headed towards that. So the answer is, well, what do we do next? Well, we need to build an alliance of population groups who are willing to do what's necessary to steam through this and create the next right. civilization. Because to, endure it, to endure the fall. So, I mean, if you saw the beginning of the show there, I talked about I'm doing a webinar next week about navigating the collapse. And I'm, I'm saying clearly it's all going to collapse. And I know Christian conservatives are like, well, maybe it'll be okay. I'm like, no, it's going to collapse. All you got to do is look at scripture and history. It's it's going to collapse. And also they're trying to collapse it. But yep. what it comes back to is the tribal and pioneer big families are exactly how you survive that. And I, I hope that as your kids get older, they're like my kids and they're working alongside us. You know, and I include, uh, you know, my, like my daughter, does my my um, videos for my for my Patreon, uh, and she runs our garden, and my wife does it. So we do everything. We are con- continually doing more stuff together, as opposed to I'm sending them off to daycare and the, the pets off to daycare. You don't have any little yeah. little no, tiny I dogs, have, do you? I, I gotta ask you. You don't have the little tiny dogs, do you? The dog. Not in the house right now, but um. Okay. Uh, we, all these, all these, all these. These uh, urban guys, they have these little dogs that oh, we not call a little dog, instead of kids. And they oh. say, oh, you know, 
this is my kid. I'm like, no, because if things get really bad, you don't eat your kids. Uh, but, you know, you might eat your horses or dogs. So, yeah. Uh, two, two, well, we're about to get chickens. We're getting those this weekend. We're really excited. Okay. Um, well, we got chickens and goats and horses. So if you need any advice, I'll put you. Oh, my God. Yes. Um, so we, expert we on that. two. To what you were just saying, I really want to comment on this because I think it's so important. One of our recent videos was called uh, Trad. We did a podcast, Trad Wives are a Progressive Conspiracy. And specifically what we mean by this is this concept of a family. People think of Trad Wives as a woman at home with the kids. What does that mean? It means the man is not a part of the family. It was the moment they first atomized the family was by bringing the father out of the household. If you look at the, the mid-1800s, the late 1800s, 80% of Americans were not in what we would call a nuclear family. They were in what we would call a corporate family. And a corporate family is very different. A corporate family is a family where they all work together on similar projects. And that's what you're doing. And one of the great things about the COVID panic is it really unlocked as a possibility for a lot of people work from home, which unlocked this possibility to return to the household industry, which I have seen so many of my friends, you know, we live in, in rural America, return to and begin to grow and their families have gotten so much stronger because of it. And I'm just so glad to hear that that's something that you're also practicing. Oh yeah. And so I got, I love this photo. Tell me the names of your, of your kids there, Simone. Uh, yeah. Those are our two eldest sons. That's Octavian and that's Torsten. And we have a daughter named Titan and we hope to just keep going. We've got a long way to go. Obviously. This is the next one we're hoping. Oh, uh, you do. There's a lot on you on your shoulders, Simone. My gosh. But I, I love this. I just love this. New kids on the block. Geeky, wealthy, entrepreneurial, pro-natalism activist. I, I want to know what that abbreviation is, but I just got to say, I love it. You know, I'm not sure I qualify for that, but uh, it's so cool. Um, well, yeah, I mean, it is It is cool. And it isn't cool. What's really cool is how much of an impact we can have on the future. Those of us who do survive this, this fertility collapse, because a single family that has eight kids, if they do that for just 11 generations, they'll have more descendants than, than, than are alive on Earth today, than there are people on Earth today. And so, yes, fertility is collapsing all over the world, but the people who, who can build cultures that intergenerationally, you know, it's not about your quality as a parent isn't judged by the lives of your kids, it's judged by the lives of your grandkids. Because it's easy to give your kids everything. You know, you've got to create intergenerationally durable cultures. And that's what we really advocate for is an alliance of intergenerationally durable cultures, of, of people who think very differently about the world, but that all have one thing in common, which is that they want to pass their cultures into the future. And they are far future thinking. They are, you know, let's keep this alive. And, and you know, I think pretty much everyone in our movement is also not reactionary against tradition. Tradition existed for a reason. Um, and, and stripping it out of the human condition stripped a large part of what it meant to be human out of the human condition. It's like running machines without oil. Um, there's no problem. It's surprising that all these mental breakdowns, you know, since Pew started doing uh, data on this, conservatives have been markedly happier than progressives. And it's increasing dramatically in the last five or 10 years or so. Um, so their, their whole force, you know, we, we, we say, thank God our enemies are not as competent as they are malevolent. Um, so true. I, that's what I say. I say they're not giants and they're not geniuses. They're just petty tyrants with father complexes. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and here's the thing, though, and you know, we talk about collapse, and it. I think when most people hear the word collapse, or they they hear about demographic apocalypses or declines and shifts, they freak out. They think that's a bad thing. But ultimately, when you look at how people are faring mentally, physically, right now, you know, there's a lot of room for improvement. You know, that this we are feel very enthusiastic and optimistic about many. Um, forcing functions for change that are in our imminent and medium and long-term future, because that change could be for the better. And the future is going to be inherited and shift will shaped by designed by those who show up for it. The people showing up for it have so much power. And we think that's so cool. Yes. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah and and I, something you said was uh, really interesting to me because I've spent a lot of time in Central and South America uh, and I really love the people in Central. I've been invited into uh, 
Champas to share meals uh, with uh, the Aymara, the Mesquito, um, um, lots of populations. And they, I find them as very uh, hardworking, family-oriented, religious folk, um, whether it's tribal or Christian or both uh, as well. Uh, and I'm kind of surprised to see their demographics are going to fall off too, because I, as when they are bringing uh, the Central and South Americans in, those are they are not going to buy into this uh, Molech, uh, you know, tranny, uh, you know, uh, left wing ideally ideal. That's where you in South in South Tucson, they put up uh, posters for the Marines because. In, in North Tucson, they, they put up to, hey, you can join the Army and be a dentist. But in the South Tucson, they go, hey, you want to be a warrior, a guerrero? You know, there is a there is still a real uh, level of testosterone, which has dropped, depending on what study you read, 30 to 60 percent uh, in the last uh, three or four decades. Uh, and so so I'm interested to hear again and uh why the drop it's because they have moved to enough different climate and to a different lifestyle is that's why no, you're no, no. Like they didn't they they're so cultures can kind of evolve over time and by that what i mean is that this sort of progressive mind virus has existed in the united states for a long time right progressive so, mind virus i love that yeah so well i mean it survives by well, parasitizing other groups and so the groups in the us have just been around it for longer so they've had more time to develop traditions that adapt to it and protect their members uh the only thing that's really changing is that the immigrants coming here um and, and we are very connected with the latin american community you know our business is headquartered in latin america we do most of our business there um oh, yeah. they yeah. haven't dealt with this mind virus for as long and so when they come to the United States, um, they are they sometimes take it at face value. I think all of us know now to not take it at face value. You know, it says, oh, I'm kind. I'm about acceptance. I'm about, you know, um, and they've been more resistant to it than some other groups, uh, but they still are getting hit by it more than the groups that have been in the U.S. longer. However, you know, being really tied in with the Latin American community in the U.S., this is a community that is willing to embrace and ready to embrace the, cons the American conservatism. And I know for my generation, you know, Simone's going to be running in the next office cycle. Uh, we see the, the Latin American community, not the Latinx community, whatever the fuck that is. Um, sorry. Um, uh, but the Latin American community as one of our strongest allies as, as conservatives and, and, and a community that I think is just very culturally aligned with us. Yeah, because so Latin America is really uh, two cultures. It's uh, Spanish and there's some European, especially when you get down to South America. Like uh, I spent a lot of time in Chile and if you they're great people, but uh, they didn't say theta when they're talking uh, Castellano. But their uniforms are just like Nazi uniforms, which is kind of startling the first time you ever see them. But there's a large uh, native contingent, a tribal contingent. And when you talk about generations, you know, I have Apache heritage. It's you, you, You're talking tribally there. The, mm -hmm. the, the American uh, tribes, which were decimated and betrayed, have just reached their seventh generation. And this is the Tashunke Witko's Crazy Horse's vision is the red race will rise again and be a blessing for a sick world because... The prayer is uh, for all my rel relatives, uh, which is not which is black, white, yellow, red, but also winged, um, finned, uh, four legged, two legged, all of that. And so, you you know, when you say that generationally thinking, uh, that's actually very tribal uh, and and very good to hear. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know if I, I would use the word tribal, but they have really strong family networks for their information networks. Which means that the you know of, of of our friend networks they get their news from their family and they trust news that comes from their family much more than they trust news that comes from other sources and I think this is something that the progressives really haven't quite grasped yet that they don't have the same hooks in them as they have in other other minority groups um, and what it means is they're not catching how angry the community is getting for example during the BLM riots you know during during the riots in LA a long time ago. Which were the communities that were most hurt? It was the recent Korean immigrants because they were on the outskirts of all of the lower income communities, right? 
who were the communities most damaged by the BLM riots? You know, the media is not going to tell you this, but it was mostly Hispanic communities. But the Hispanic population knows this. They know what happened because they don't need news to travel information. It travels through family networks. They all know somebody who got completely had their lives ruined over this. Um, and so, you know, I, I think that they are, I, I really want to do what I can to expand our tent to that community. And I think that it's, it's very doable and they're very aligned with us, but to what you were saying earlier, I think it's also really important to note is falling fertility rates, because that's another thing we need to contend with sperm motility and sperm rates have declined over 50% in the last 50 years. Um, it, I think it's the last 30 years. We've seen something like a, no, I think it's the last 20 years, a 30% decline in, in yep. testosterone. Um, sorry, I'm getting my numbers mixed up there. Uh, but I mean, this isn't natural. This isn't like a normal thing to have happen. It is shocking. And there's probably something going on here, but what's really important to note um, and, and I, I, I think that, that, you know, when we talk about a positive future for, for our species is that if you look around the world, you know, prosperity generally causes fertility collapse, right? But there are, and I just think, you know, this is something to think about. There are two places where this is less true. It's conservative American populations specifically are uniquely resistant to it. And then the other place that's been uniquely resistant to it is Israel. So if we talk about who's going to be the major players in the future, Israel and the conservative American groups are going to be, yes, they each will be individually less wealthy and, and their lifestyles will be less. But when you contrast their lifestyles with the lifestyles of everyone else on the world, the, the distance is actually going to expand. Um, and when we talk about collapse, I think a lot of people think like road warrior and what we mean is like Detroit. What we mean is, is like America will begin to look more like we would think of a, a developed country. I think a good. No, I, that's what I've said for a long time. It's not going to be road war. It's going to be Venezuela, and I've worked Venezuela, and yeah. Venezuelans are great folks. Uh, oh, and Venezuela now is a transshipment point uh, for human beings. What for what I call the dark economy, which is drugs, people, and weapons. Uh, yes. So we do a lot of business in Venezuela, and I think Venezuela is an important place to look if they have this intuition that if things ever got bad, people would rise up. Um, they are underestimating how much power is consolidated in our society right now, even when we have guns. Um, and we, we do need to think about how do we uh, defend ourselves? How do we get out and how do we recognize when things are beginning to go bad and we need to get out? One of the movements that we've been really involved with recently is the Charter City Movement. Um, which is looking to create uh, sort of new uh, economic zones in other areas that have some level of sovereignty. And you can have an enormous level of like self-sorting into these economic areas, uh, which I find just really fascinating. Is that So that's a counter to the 15-minute cities, which want to do uh, short-term vertical grows uh, with jabs uh, inside all the food. So that's your, that's your counter institution to that. Have I got that right, Simone? That's, I mean, they're very different. Um, charter cities are more like, let's just start from ground zero, you know, make this really unique and new. Uh, it's not trying to escape from anything new. It's trying to say, what if we built an ideal, optimized new city state? Um, and, and take advantage, frankly, of the many regions where people are just seeing towns vacated and populations plummeting that are really open to someone trying something new. Yeah, like you look at Europe and a lot of these, you know, islands around Europe and stuff like that just completely depopulating because they're essentially rural regions. Um, and, they, and they're much further along on demographic collapse than we are. Um, and, and so, you know, they're beginning to panic because they're looking at their numbers and they're seeing, oh, gosh, you know, and what you have right up now is our podcast. And sort of the theme of our podcast is let's be uh, let, let's be as sort of offensive and interesting as possible. That's why we call it based camp. I love public school is worse than nothing. I, I love that. I mean, it statistically is. Uh, the unschooling movement, if you're familiar with that, you know, I, I, I like the unschooling movement. It's essentially like homeschooling, except, uh, you know, you just let kids do, you know, whatever they want, right, while giving them access to tools. Kids who go through that movement statistically get into college at higher rates and they graduate college at higher rates. Um, so... Um, okay, by well, the way, our I core podcast is actually the talk pregnancy take on murdering your spouse. Yeah, we decided to do an episode where I was like, if you were going to murder me, how would you do it? And so we tried to hypothesize the best ways to murder each other where we wouldn't get caught. <laughs> Why? Yeah, that kind of uh, ruined our odds of successfully doing that if we ever really was. That was my gambit there. I wanted to... <laughs> um, oh, I see. 
out front and YouTube so everybody knew. <laughs> yeah, now now there's now there's no option. We burned those ships. <laughs> oh well. Yeah. I love that. Oh. You, um, you guys could be good intelligence personnel, by the way. <laughs> Well, you know, what I, what I really love and what I'd love to, you know, see explored more in the future and discussed more is, you know, there's a lot of discussion of like, you know, there's the enemy, they're out to get us. But honestly, I think one of the most fun points that Malcolm frequently makes on this subject, you know, we, we, we do face a lot of threats, you know, between like government, economic elites, et cetera, um, putting a lot of uh, our values and our choice and our autonomy and in a, in a risky position or even just outright threatening it. Um, ultimately, what's really encouraging is a lot of the forces arrayed against us are just not going to exist in the future. They're not, they're not sustainable. They're self-extinguishing. Um, and really, this is about writing it out. A lot of people are just yes. like, hey, I'm going to sit under the radar. We're choosing not to because we want to show people that this is an option. So we're not going to go under the radar. But honestly, if you go under the radar, you build a, a sovereign family, you give your kids an amazing upbringing such that they want to also have kids and raise their kids in that culture. Um, you through through love, through great life, through living your values are going to ultimately rule the future. And those who are attacking with hate, those who are trying to take over by force, I mean, ultimately they're self-extinguishing and you see this all over the place. Um, so, you know, I, I think there's so much to be hopeful about. And what we really should be talking about isn't how do we vanquish this enemy? How do we overcome them? But really like, how do we give our kids an amazing upbringing? How do we equip our children? to really kill it in the modern world. And one thing that we also argue about and something that might be interesting to discuss is that especially the cultures that will be not just inheriting the future, but literally building it and shaping it are not all the cultures. So there's going to be some cultures that are very isolationist and technophobic, we'll say, um, who are going to go ahead and like they, they will, they will certainly exist in the future. They will be out there, but they're not going to be influencing the development and innovation of the human species. They're not going to be building new governments. They're not going to be out there, right? They're going to be taking care of their own. Um, yeah, and then the Amish, the Amish yeah. have, for example. Yeah, like the Amish uh, and, and many Amish groups have, like, they yes. They have no vaccine damage um, at all. That That's a control group. You know, But they're pacifist. They're, they're pacifist, so they can't defend themselves. Um, and they're not going to build anything that affects outsiders. They're going to take care of their own. And, and we, I mean, at least from our cultural background, we're really interested in what matters to us is seeing a pluralistic future. We actually really want to have many different perspectives participating in the future, because frankly, if we're hit by some kind of existential threat, we want, you know, 78 different worldviews working on it rather than just three, because we're more likely to come to an answer when we have a lot of different people working on it from different perspectives with different abilities. Um, and so it's really important to us that we see a lot of different groups come through. Yep. And that means we want to build a world that is that is safer. But really only those groups that both are pronatalist and that do carry on their culture and make their culture intergenerationally durable, but also who are technophilic and who are willing to engage with the wider world are going to build the future. And a big interesting um, challenge here, and I think this is something that we're interested in hearing how you're dealing with with your family, is how do you have a corporate family? How do you have a strong culture with your family with strong values that is also technophilic, that is also still online, that is also still affecting the outside world? You mentioned, for example, um, how your daughter is is doing things for your social media, but she's also, you know, she's like also there helping with like on the ground family sovereignty in your garden. You know, like she's doing both. You know, this is a sovereignty. This is self-sufficiency. This is a strong culture, strong values, but you are also making an impact on the world. How do you raise a family to be technophilic and pronatalist, but not get infected by all of the memes online, not get converted. So, you know, a lot of parents just leave their kids to knock about the internet and their kids kind of lose their minds. Their kids get converted. Their kids get radicalized. How do you protect your children? How do you advise other people? What lessons have you learned on creating a family that is, that is both technophilic and impacting the larger world, but also culturally still aligned? Well, th that is a, a great question. And uh, so my kids don't play any video games whatsoever. Mm. I'm friends with Dave Grossman, who wrote on killing. And uh, I've been through his courses. I've taught courses with him. And he's proven and I don't know if you know his work. Uh, but No, we're not familiar with it. 
the, yeah, well, that's kind of, you know, it's a, if you're in the warrior space, you were familiar with his stuff on killing. But what he says is all the violent video games, the uh, Grand Theft Auto, uh, all those things uh, are programming kids to be violent. And so, as someone who's an expert in violence, I was a soldier, I was a special agent, I'm a martial arts master. The other side to violence is to watching someone die and uh, poop themselves when they die and experiencing the whole thing as opposed to taking another sip of Coke, eating another potato chip. Uh, and there's a disconnection there from all of that. Just like when you, uh, as a tribal person, when you go hunting, you know, with Apaches, we put a little cattail pollen on the deer after we've killed it and thank, uh, thank it for its life. Uh, there's a relation that happens there. So when, mm. when we've had to put down uh, our horses, you know, there's a ceremony for that. And my kids are there when that happens. So they are experiencing death. But when our goats uh, had their kids, they, they experienced life kind of easy because when you have those kind of animals, you really have to, you can then skip the whole um, birds and bees lectures because they, they've pretty much seen it all you know, naturally anyway, uh, as they're growing up. So it's a very careful um, guarded um uh, relationship, uh, you know, where my daughter now is, uh, my other daughter is 13. She has a iPhone, but I give her a, um, a Faraday bag to put in between her and her body because of the radiation. Mm. She leaves it all the time. She's not addicted to it by any means. That's awesome. Yeah. So it's, it's always being in relation, understanding your roles. And for me, that's a Judeo Christic native, um, ethics. And so the Judaic is the Ten Commandments. The Christic is the Two Commandments. The native essentially is never harm children and everything is born of woman. So always honor womanhood. Um, that's how uh, that's how I operate. That's my, Those are my ROE. Those are my rules of engagement. Those are the essential things I think that makes America exceptional, which is what we were. Our exceptional love of life and freedom comes from our Judeo-Christic native we're willing to fight, kill, and die for that. We used to be willing to go to other countries and fight, kill, and die for that and then give that country back. And nobody in the history of the world except us ever did that. And that's yeah. now we've lost that. The military is a mess. Um, I hate to say it, you know, because I'm a veteran, but that's where I come from uh, on that perspective. But I also want to go into, uh, you know, so for me, everything comes back to, my uh, my centrality of my faith through Judeo-Christic native. Uh, and that's the straight line rule. Um, for example, we use an Aramaic uh, Peshitic uh, scripture because Yeshua spoke Aramaic and, and it actually means, Peshitic means the straight line. So, you know, Jordan Peterson's been saying, how can you know a line's crooked if you don't have a straight line? There's got to be a baseline. Well, why not just rape children? Why not just sell women? Why not just sell drugs? Is it is the bumper sticker that who dies with the most toys wins? Or is there something worth fighting, killing and dying for? Hmm. And so that's my essential baseline. And I want to hear about yours. Well, I think if we look at the world today, a lot of us like Simone and I, you know, we grew up in families that cultural traditions had been almost entirely eroded by the time we were born. Um, and so a lot of people in our movement, you know, the, the younger people, they are rebuilding um, a social structures, culture and faith from uh, their ancestors um, to try to create something that's durable in a modern context, um, which is a, a very, you know, it's a difficult thing to do in, in, in the world today, given how much I think was... Um, lost and 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 the period that we lost where people say well you can just go back to the way we used to do things but unfortunately a lot of people when rome was collapsing had that same intuition they said we'll go back to the the pagan ways this is when there was this big rise of mystery cults you know and that that was really popular in the military at the time um and the other thing that was popular in the military was this new crazy group of religions uh, which today we think of as christianity and they said, no, we need a new system. We need a new way of doing things. We need to like regularly hold councils. We need to talk through the new social systems we're building. 
And it was that new accelerationist group that ended up surviving and defining the future of our species. And so I think that a lot of people's intuition when they see how uh, degraded modernity is, is that they can survive by just going back to the way things used to be. Um, uh, and what I like about what you're doing is you, you aren't doing that. You're doing a combination of different aspects of your ancestral tradition while also still engaging with the online space and engaging with things you learned in the military and pulling it together into something strong. And I think it's a, that's sort of the, the mindset that we're using is how can we learn from our ancestral traditions and cultures and create something that's true to that, but still is resistant to the mind virus because for us, I mean, the moment where I, I really was like, oh my gosh, like this is this is red alert is when the Mormons, which it looks like it's already happened, have fallen below replacement rate. When Mormons fall below replacement rate, when they're not even replacing their own population, that's not the canary in the coal mine dying. That's the minor skin bubbling off. You know, we are in a really bad scenario. And that is fascinating because I've been doing a lot of guest appearances because I did a little bit of child rescue and Tim Ballard's and my career's similar. And I spoke mm-hmm. before Jim Caviezel and Sound of Freedom finally came out. And, you know, Ballard is very much tied in with LDS. And I've worked and that's because LDS is all through the FBI, CIA because of their missionaries. So they got to have some language. And I've mm-hmm. known some great ones. You know, I'm not Catholic now, but I came out of a Catholic orphanage and, you know, I wouldn't be here without the Catholic schools. And I've worked with lots of that. Uh, So that's really interesting that even though that's a foundation for Ballard, uh, uh, Ballard's work and uh, Operation Underground Railroad's work, uh, that uh, they aren't going to make it because, of course, they're all. I mean, I worked with an FBI agent. He had like seven kids. Well, they um, might. They might. So so we're just talking about the average Mormon. There are many factions of Mormonism that have been able to keep their fertility rate quite high. Um, and I think that this is what we're seeing. There's many, like the, the average Catholics below fertility rate right now, but the, there are many factions of the Catholic Church that have been able to keep their fertility rate quite high. Those are the factions that will predominate in the future. But the thing that all these factions have in common is that they are innovating in key ways or, or going back to certain aspects of tradition, but sort of making them more resistant to modern times in, in, in key ways. You know, if you want to fully go back to your tradition, the group that does that well, like I love, is the Amish. You know, they're basically like, well, if, if it is modernity that's not working, then we need to actually insulate ourselves and go back to the way things actually were in the past. And people can do that. Well, well they don't really do that either because they'll soup up their tractors so that they yeah, can yeah. You know, if you really want to go back, I mean, and there's no going back to, to everything. You know, I've, yep. there's a, a science fiction author I like to read, John Ringo, and the net is completely controlling everything. And it goes down because a council of seven start fighting. Uh, and it's really medieval reenactors because they can forge stuff that everybody starts uh, <laughs> consolidating around. Well, but, but, I, but I really want to get back to, uh, and Simone, jump in here. I want to hear a little bit if you're willing to share, you know, your perspective on faith, because the, from the World War II generation, and my dad was a World War II vet still around and adopted me out of an orphanage and took me to, and he fought the Japanese. And he took me to a Japanese dojo, you know, and wow. moved all that. And, it, you know, I still look at him with awe, you know, on that. But, but one thing I think the World War II guys did, it was so rough that they came back and they said, hey, I just want my kids to have a good time. And they, I think they made things too easy for their kids. Mm-hmm. Uh, for the mo- Now, I wanted to be like him. I wanted to be some of, you know, those of us who grew up in those traditions wanted to emulate them. But a lot of traditions, they didn't, like my wife's dad was an Orthodox Jew and a veteran, but he didn't pass any of that on to them. And I think they made life too easy for him. And, and that's, you know, Soft men make hard times, you know, but I, but if you don't mind, Simone, I'd like to hear uh, if faith is a basis for you guys, or if it's not, that's okay. I just want to hear, I just want to hear about it. I'm just curious about it. We've pretty strong faith, but weird faith by most people's standards. So we practice what you might call descendant worship, where we really are oriented around what our future generations, even in the very distant future can become. So many, you cultures 
practice ancestral worship. You know, that's something people are very familiar with. Um, but what we're really interested in is thinking in terms of long-termism, in terms of um, having kids, passing on a culture to their kids and building a better future. Um, and we, we come, we've come to this from a very, we'll say secular position, but I think over time have become a lot more um, religious and faith-based around it. Like Malcolm, would you like to describe one of our holidays? Yeah, like future day, right? So, I mean, basically the idea of it is a million years from now, if our descendants are still alive, um, they're probably closer to the way that we would think of a, a god than the way we would think of a human. So who's to say they relate to time the same way we do? And so we've tried to rebuild up our family's Calvinist traditions because both of us are from, you know, Calvinist backgrounds that was sort of this belief in predestination and, the, you know, a lot of uh, the, the, the Calvinist uh, stuff. And so uh, in future day, what we do is we have our kids... Um, every year they, uh, uh, get their, their addictive devices, like cell phones and stuff like that taken from them, um, by the future police. And they have to, uh, uh, request the devices back from the future police with a contract about how they're going to make the future a better place. Um, and one specific thing they're going to do that year. And so then they get their devices back and a little present. And then when they accomplish the thing they said they were going to do that year to make the future a better place, they get a bigger present. And the idea of this holiday is to constantly reinforce for them that one, they have agency over the future um, uh, and, and to get them constantly thinking about that while also helping them understand, you know, when previous traditions sort of came about, kids didn't have things like cell phones and stuff like that. So there was no tradition to really teach kids cell phones are evil and destroy your chances for the future uh, in the same way that like we built traditions around switches and like not being a bad boy, you know? And so we're trying to build something that, that uh, passes on our cultural values, one, a future orientation, and two, uh, be aware of the Skinner boxes in your environment that can be used to hijack your brain. Wow, I like that. Well, I don't like the the Calvinistic determinist, but that's okay. <laughs> I like the Skinner boxes. That's that's cool. Uh, but um, Gold, Gold Star says, what amazing guest gives me hope. Ghostwalker Airtalk says, both of these kids both had a hard road to hoe. It's amazing they turned out the way they did. Um, Simone, so you have some autism, uh, I guess. <laughs> yes. And uh, I'm trying to remember uh, the uh, Phoenix lady who redesigned. She's a genius. I can't. Oh, Temple her. Grandin. Temple Grandin. I love mm -hmm. Temple Grandin stuff uh, because she thinks circularly like like uh, four leggeds do. And when I'm teaching horsemanship, native horsemanship, natural horsemanship is the the hook on with the horse shoulder to shoulder, not predator oh. predator. They're side eyed. Yeah. So you turn, you're sending. Uh, and and I, so I thought I'd like to hear a little bit about that because you're obviously um, like Temple uh, in that you are uh, you are leading uh, a whole new way of, of looking at that because you're nobody's patronizing you because that the whole big thing today is patronizing. Well, if you're if you're this or you're that, we got to give you special conditions, and that means you're not good enough and you can't make it, and obviously you can't. Yeah, yeah, we definitely are against victimhood culture. And we think that one of the worst things you can do to someone is make them a victim. Um, because you can make the healthiest person in the world see themselves as a victim and they'll they'll develop learned helplessness and it's really harmful. Learned um, helplessness, I love that. So it's I've it got to take on things. some of your mimetic warfare <laughs> I have a lot of them myself, but I'm getting some good ones here today. Yeah, it's um it's it's a very it's a very scary thing. Uh it's similar to internal versus external uh having an internal versus external locus of control, where if you think everything is someone else's fault, uh, you know, those this happened because of X trauma in my childhood or because so and so is stopping me or the government's doing this, even if it is genuinely not your fault, um having that kind of mindset is really toxic, right? So um, I think that those things are really important. And I think that people like Temple Grandin are uh, special and amazing because they never let anything that made them different um, hold them back. You know, she just used how she saw the world differently as a means of making a really big impact when it came to um, animal treatment and industrial, you know, <laughs> meat processing. It's, it's really amazing. So um, in terms of autism, I didn't discover that I was autistic until... Uh, we had our son diagnosed as autistic and all the things that they were like, oh, yeah, that's a dead giveaway that he's autistic. And I'm like, no, everyone does that. I don't know what you're talking about. They're like, hmm, you should get that checked out. Um, <laughs> so I, I grew up not knowing that I was autistic. I just grew up with some weird difficulties. And I think that happens a lot with women. But I think what's really 
um, important to remember, especially as rates of autism are really rising right now, is that just yes. because you, you know, think differently, I think it is. Now. Yes, I was just reading that today. Um, that it's it's not necessarily a terrible thing, especially in an age in which thinking differently is one of the most important things if you are to maintain relevancy and and figure things out in the world. Um, so. Yeah, it, it is. It is very important that people are capable of thinking outside the box and reasoning through very different, violently different systems as the world is about to change a lot. Um, and also framing is everything. We think this is like a thing with children. You know, everything's psyops. You know, if you have to do something difficult, hype it up like crazy, make it fun, don't make it hard. And so we think no matter what life throws at you or we'll throw at our children or we'll throw at anyone who we care and care about and love. If you decide to view it as an opportunity, if you decide to view it optimistically, you can turn it into something really amazing. Versus if you decide to view it as a setback as something terribly wrong, you're probably going to miss important opportunities that could have made it amazing. Yeah. Well, I, I, one thing I wanted to add to, to, to what she was saying here is about this victimhood culture is I think that naively, you know, going into this time where, you know, very few people are dealing with or historically compared to history or dealing with food scarcity. We basically live in almost a, a time without scarcity. And I think that we expected that the highest form of indulgence, you know, if humanity ever reached this state would be hedonism. But what we've learned is that in truth, higher than hedonism is self-victimization because self-victimization removes an individual of responsibility. And there is no more a sign of true privilege than the ability to indulge in removing responsibility from yourself. And that is the highest form of degradation I see in our society today. And, and the only thing you can't buy is a sense of purpose, a sense of, of esteem. You have to earn that. Um, yeah. And you earn that through interaction and through uh, work. That, that is so well said. Um, well, uh, wow, this has been uh, fascinating and better than I thought. Uh, and um, any, uh, yeah, any what questions you got of me before we close or anything else you guys want to say? Yeah, um, it, it, it's, it's something that has come up tangentially in a few of these conversations. You know, we've talked about the various traditions that inform various conservative perspectives. And I think that one of the, you know, when I when I look at, I think, where the, the future of the conservative party is going, and it, it's something that really heartens me, um, is that, Progressives claim to care about diversity, but in truth, as soon as somebody sort of joins this mind virus, they lose everything that meaningfully makes them different. If I talk to a progressive Jew or a progressive Catholic or a progressive Muslim, they'll have approximately the same beliefs about gender, about sexuality, about how they relate to the environment, about morality, about what the future of our species should be. But when I talk to different members of the conservative movement, depending on their background, they have radically different beliefs on, you know, everything from gender to sexuality, to their relationship to the environment, to morality, everything like that, radically different. And yet we are able to see this common threat um, and, and, and come together. Um, and uh, there's this, this uh, book uh, I liked when I was a kid called The Emperor of Dune, where uh, essentially a person creates a tyrant so bad that lasts for so long that all of these different groups that historically were always at each other's throats could perpetually understand why it was bad to try to enforce themselves on their neighbors and, and create a, a permanent alliance. Um, and I, I like to think that that's what we're seeing happening now in the conservative movement. I mean, we saw things like Andrew Tate last year, you know, the number one conservative influencer among youth converted to Islam. And in the U.S., we didn't see conservative pundits freaking out. They were saying, you know, thank God you found faith. You know, and you look at people like us, right? You know, we have the weirdest way of trying to come back to faith, but people are still supportive of us. And what that shows me is that conservatism has a strength that the progressive movement can't even imagine, which is genuine diversity. Because we remember that the strength of diversity is that we are different. That's why it gives us an advantage, not that we're all secretly the same. I love that. And, you know, faith, like your family, is a journey. Uh, and as you change, it should change uh, mm -hmm. with you. And of course, I've read Frank Herbert. I'm a emperor of Germany. Hey, this is, <laughs> you know, I can match you with any of the you know, stranger in a strange land, you know, uh, is a classic. 
that I've read along with Starship Troopers, which is exactly the opposite of that. <laughs> is scriptural quote that you will be strangers in a strange land. But there's so much, you know, and I heard you did a you did a Trekkie analysis there too, because I'm an old Trekkie from I watched the first episode originally and uh, and loved it. You can see so much, but you know, you should check out John Ringo. I can't think of the name of the book, but it's you know, people are living in volcanoes and at the bottom of the sea, and the net. The, it starts off by saying a sparrow fell to the ground and because of old age, and mother felt it. And of course, that's a scriptural reference. But there's these seven hyper rich that control the net, and they fight. And when they when they fight, it goes down, and it's back to medieval times. It's a John Ringo uh, book. Uh, John Ringo is somebody I want to get on one of these days too, because he's got some some wild stuff. But you can look at a lot of really good stuff there uh, to project. It's interesting. Yeah, you're kind of doing uh, the opposite of Confucianism, I guess, um, and Taoism. <laughs> there, very interestingly. Um, very cool. Very cool. We'd love to join you again sometime. If any of our guests want to check out our books, we've got the Pragmatist Guide series. If they want to check out our podcast, it's Basecamp. That's probably more relevant because that's our more modern thing. Um, and we're just really excited for the future because, yes, it'll be hard. But in the end, we've already won. We just need to help as many people as possible get through this crucible. That is right. We, that's exact. I say it all the time. We're being crucibled. And then once you're crucified, as I was 15 years ago, to crucify means to magnify a thousand times. Uh, and that's exactly right. Uh, so uh, Malcolm and Simone, thank you so much. It's been uh, great. And I love your perspective. Uh, and we will definitely get back to you. And everybody, please remember that uh, we are winning. Uh, this is what winning looks like. But freedom is never given. It must be earned, fought for, won, and taken. So. Take it.